Welcome to the first edition of The State of Cannabis. The State of Cannabis is aired on the fourth Friday of every month from 5.30 to 6 p.m. Medical marijuana has been legal in Oregon for approximately 18 years. In July of 2015, cannabis for recreational use became legal in Oregon. Approximately half of Oregon adults report that they've used marijuana. We hope to provide listeners with relevant and interesting information on the subject of cannabis in Oregon and around the country. Coming up, we've got Leland Berger, attorney with Normal and the Oregon Cannabis Council. Mayor-elect Ted Wheeler speaks at Portland's annual Marijuana March. Jen Valley from Stony Girl talks about curing her cancer with marijuana. Amy Peridotta, chairwoman of the Portland chapter of Women Grow, talks about her activities. Travel host and activist Rick Steves speaks at the Seattle Hemp Fest this last weekend. And Seattle Hemp Fest award winner Joy Beckerman adds her final thoughts. We have Lee Lindberger in the studio today. Lee is an attorney with the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws and commonly known as Normal. And he also works with the Oregon Cannabis Compliance Council. So, Lee, tell me, what's going on? Yeah, Portland, uh, Portland Normal has a legislative committee. I'm the chair of it. Uh, Lindsay Reinhardt is our lobbyist and legislative director. Edgar uh, Diaz, who's a, just finished his second year at Willamette, has been doing research for us. And uh, Renee Williams is our communications director. We have, uh, uh, we started up in 2015. We had an agenda for the short session in February and had some success in some matters. We were able to get um, the law changed for uh, patients in the criminal justice system so that marijuana for patients has to be treated like medicine throughout the criminal justice system except for uh, driving around the influence uh, diversion. For the 2017 session, we have uh, three main things that we're working on. We're working on amending the Indoor Clean Air Act um, in three regards, actually. One is to uh, make it so the clubs can reopen so that Adults and patients can freely assemble and share cannabis. A second part of amending the Indoor Clean Air Act is to change the requirement that employers enforce a drug-free workplace if uh, employers and employees agree to use uh, A in the workplace and it's not otherwise a problem because of a federal contract or something, then they ought to be able to do that. And the third part of the Indoor Clean Air Act has to do with... um, uh, public events to create temporary event permits and temporary server permits so that the OLCC could regulate those events the way they do um, uh, alcohol at uh, large events. The second legislative priority is to um, is we're working you know to end can of bigotry and we had proposed to a legislator having a broad expansive, progressive, uh, anti-discrimination bill. Edgar had researched uh, uh, nationally, both uh, in terms of the medical laws and the pending initiatives, and we'd gathered all that material together. And the legislature we met with uh, has created a work group so that we can come up with something that'll pass. So it's not likely to be as earth-shattering, but it... um, 
but it's a positive step in the right direction. And the third thing is we met with a legislator who gave us a permission to speak with the Criminal Justice Council, and every morning... Um, 54 men and one woman wake up in an Oregon correctional institution where one of the sentences they're serving is a cannabis offense. And what we want to do is meet with uh, governor's staff to either create a policy for clemency for those sentences or to somehow fast track clemency petitions from those 55 people. With all those things going on, it sounds like you've uh, got a pretty busy schedule. You know, my wife would tease me, what are you going to do after after we legalize marijuana? I said, we're going to end can of bigotry. I mean, that, that's, and we're going to free the prisoners because those are, are the two biggest priorities, in my opinion. And then the third thing is, is the, uh, you know, we, when they amended the Indoor Clean Air Act in 2015, we left the legislature thinking we were okay. It's a private club, you know, you have to pay money to come in and... Um, it turned out that uh, the way that the Indoor Clean Air Act defines a public place is different from the way the criminal law or the um, or Measure 91, for that matter, define public place. And uh, so it just we need to amend it. And toward that end, uh, Lindsay and I have met with uh, the Oregon Health Authority, both with the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program Director and with the folks who enforce the um, the Indoor Clean Air Act uh, from a state level. So where can people find out more information, Leland? Well, yeah, they could go to the Portland Normal website um, and uh, or uh, the Portland Normal webpage on Facebook. Um, we're, we're meeting uh, generally the first Monday of the month at 8 o'clock at a place that's going to be the palace. Uh, Leah Flynn is going to open a tea house where people can consume cannabis as well once we change the law. Well, thanks for coming by. Leland Berger. Thanks. On May 17, 2016, the 17th Annual Global Cannabis March happened in Portland, Oregon. Mayor-elect Ted Wheeler spoke at the gathering. We were there. It's so great to be here. My name is Ted Wheeler. I've got to say, it excites me to have been here today to talk to some of the cannabis industry leaders, some of the cannabis industry entrepreneurs. I am enthusiastic because they are excited, they're pumped, they're visionary, and they're excited about the economic opportunity of this industry for our state, for our region, and of course, for the great city of Portland. The people of this community, as you just heard, overwhelmingly voted for a legal, regulated, taxed cannabis industry I've heard from so many of the entrepreneurs about the importance of making sure that Portland retains its place as a respectful and open community to the industry. If we do that, what's going to happen is people are going to want to open businesses here. They will want to employ people here. And that can only be a good thing for our economy. Let's also understand that under Measure 91, there were rights that are ascribed to medical marijuana patients. They deserve a safe, respectful, indoor location to consume. That was the intention of Measure 91. And we should work hard to uphold that intention. At the end of the day, here's what we've got to do. We've got to acknowledge the cannabis industry for what it is. It is legal. It is regulated. 
It is taxed. And it's a tremendous opportunity to uplift our community, help get people employed, reduce income, in, income disparity, which we all know is growing across our nation, our state, and our community. And it can be a great boon to our community done right and done well. And as your mayor, I'm pledging to do that. Mayor-elect Ted Wheeler. On the medical marijuana scene, contributor Barry Hyde spoke with Jennifer Valley, co-owner of Stony Girl, on curing her cancer using marijuana. Jennifer, what a journey you've been on. Um, let's have some background. How did you find your way to be here today, 2016? Your story started so many years ago. Maybe you could let us know the short version of it. Not to say that it's not all important, but you know. Um, I was actually diagnosed with the most advanced case of thyroid cancer ever seen in a living patient when I was 25 years old. Um, that was, gosh, 23 years ago. And they told me I had a 50% chance of surviving six months and that if I was incredibly lucky, I'd get an entire year, but that was really unlikely. And we did um, experimental surgery, so they did this modified radical throat dissection and they did experimental radiation on me. I had more radiation than any other human ever at Oregon Health Sciences University. And for the first 10 years of my, well, seven years of my journey, I was going to the emergency room seven to 10 times a year. I was taking 25 to 35 pills a day and I was spending close to 50 hours a year at my doctor's office. And as soon as I joined the medical marijuana program, I immediately stopped taking so much medication. I went down to two pills a day. I haven't been to the emergency room in 16 years. And I haven't had a, um, I really only spent about five hours with my doctor last year, as opposed to taking up more than a week of his time. So I've been able to really free up resources for other patients and reduce my prescription drug use and doctor visits and hospital visits and, and really have a, a huge impact on the amount of money that's spent on my health care. Um, in 2007, the doctor sat me down and said that there was nothing else that they could do for me because the last radiation treatment had not touched the last one to 2,000, one to two mil sized tumors in my lungs but it had left me bedridden for four years. And right about that time, I got invited to be in Ed Rosenthal's Big Book of Buds. And he put, me on one, he put one of my strains on the cover of the book, and I got to meet all the other um, leaders in the cannabis industry. And they were all very excited about cannabis extract oil and tried to convince me to use it but I was very uncomfortable with the genetics and the growing tactics and the, um, the solvents they were using, the pesticides they were using. Uh, and it took three years before they were able to convince me to actually try it. And when I finally did try it, I really only did it so that I could prove it wouldn't work. And I made a batch of cannabis oil in my driveway and I ingested it over the course of six weeks. And when I went in for my scans in January, all of the cancer was gone for the first time in 17 years. And the doctors were really amazed. Mm. And ever since then, I've been working with other patients, and we've had an amazing rate of cure and tumor remission and being able to get people off of their pain medications and regulate their diabetes, 
it's, it's been really amazing. Mm. Recently, Earl Blumenauer has passed legislation to protect patients, providers, and retailers, which means that doctors and insurance companies can no longer be prosecuted for being involved in the medical marijuana program. It's a great opportunity to change some policy and have a huge impact on the healthcare costs that we have. Because the patients who go to County Health are generally patients who don't have a lot of money, which means that usually the state is paying for their health care, and they should not be excluded from a state health care program that reduces prescription drug use, doctor visits, and hospital visits. Jennifer Vailey. Recently, I spoke with Mike Mullins, co-owner of Stony Girl, on some of the issues he is facing as a grower and retailer in both medical and recreational cannabis. I know that medical, uh, the medical side of things, the edibles were available for quite a while, but n- now they're just starting to be able to be available for on the recreational side. So there's uh, there's a lot going on on the edible scene, isn't there? Uh, that's correct. Uh, the limited recreational sales that we were allowed to do from our medical dispensary was simply uh, seeds or cannabis flowers and uh, plants. Uh, so we could not uh, uh, solicit any edibles, medibles, lotions, potions, tonics, and of course the BHOs, PHOs, uh, sticks and pins and all that kind of good stuff. As of June 2nd, the, uh, they have let us, the OCC has allowed us to expand the recreational sales. And now uh, we can sell medibles, which are a limited amount of THC that cannot be more than 15 milligrams of THC. Now keep in mind that we normally give a child about 50 milligrams of THC, so they're being very, very cautious on this. We're only allowed to sell you one 15 milligram edible per day, so some folks may have to save up a week or two before they can and and increase their appetite in order to be able to utilize that. But the medical on the medical side, they can they can get something that is more than 15. The medical side is unlimited at this time. Okay. Yes, that's correct. Um, and it's interesting that they allow us to go to recreational sales for the BHOs and PHOs, but not the natural concentrates that we make, such as hashes, uh, hash oils, or um, whole plant ec- oil extracts. They're only allowing the butane and propane and CO2 extracts, which is kind of interesting. is projected to bring $43 million in tax revenue from the recreational market. Originally, estimates were between 2 and $3 million. Economists expect about $12 million in tax revenue will go toward the cost of regulating marijuana. The rest will be distributed according to the formula spelled out by law. 40% to the state's common school fund, 20% to mental health, alcoholism, and drug services, 15% to Oregon State Police, 10% to the city-state enforcement, 10% to county law enforcement, and 5% to the Oregon Health Authority for Alcohol and Drug Abuse Prevention. We spoke recently with Amy Pirodata, who's the new chairwoman for the Portland chapter of Women Grow. 
Women Grow is an organization that's dedicated to the professional development of women in the cannabis industry. It serves to connect, educate, and empower women within the industry, um, and it's also focusing on uh, minority communities as well and leveling that playing field for all individuals to be able to succeed in the cannabis industry. How exactly do you do that? Uh, well, we are a professional networking organization, and so essentially what we do is uh, we foster these connections between all aspects of the industry. And so we have programming at all of the networking events, and uh, we've got people that are from pretty much all you know, ends of the spectrum from extractors to growers to dispensary owners to those who are just professionals who are not even in the industry yet who are looking to transfer their skills over. And so particularly in Oregon with all of the small businesses and startups, it's very, very exciting. And there's a lot of energy that, that goes into all of these events. And so what's really cool is that everybody is, you know, the movers and shakers are doing all these great things in their in their time. And then they take time out and they come to these events and then they see what everyone else is doing. And it really fosters this excitement, this inspiration, this collaboration, connection. And so these relationships start to form. And so, you know, oftentimes we have people who um, have businesses that are looking to hire people. And we also have people who are coming looking for jobs as well. And so it's a, a nice uh, platform for people to be able to connect on that level. But I'm a guy. I want to... <laughs> That <laughs> sounds like the services you're offering can, just, you know, I mean, is it specifically for women only? It is not specifically for women only, although we do focus on the empowerment of women. All supporters are welcome. Uh, so, yes, it is open to men as well. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, I got involved with the industry, with Women Grow particularly, by volunteering. Um, I am an advocate for, uh, or an activist really, uh, for the entire cannabis genus from industrial hemp to medical to adult use as well because there are um, benefits for mankind regardless of the cannabinoid profile of this plant from building homes to making food to medicine to relaxation to creativity community connection it's it's my favorite thing about cannabis is that it's one thing but it's everything so it, it's just kind of a, a really nice fit and so I personally am taking my professional skills I have a master's degree in public administration and um, I did my master's thesis on uh, the policies preventing the United States from fully utilizing industrial hemp as a renewable resource and so um, I've been taking my professional skills and trying to apply that into the cannabis industry so that's kind of how I got started um, and continue continuing on to uh you know educate and connect others as well amy thanks so much for talking to us today absolutely thank you so much for having me amy peridata well i've got barry height here one of our great field producers for the state of cannabis barry you just got back from the Seattle Hempfest this year, and I got to hear all about it. Well, let me tell you this, uh, an incredible event, the 25th anniversary. What was the festival like? Oh, Ed, thousands and thousands and thousands of people gathered together in the park. You know, beautiful sunny day, absolutely energy everywhere, sparkling. You were you were there for camaraderie, for reconnecting. You were there for the food, for the music, for the, the different panels, the education. Maybe you were there just to get stoned. Maybe you were there just to 
just to enjoy the the wonder and curiosity of why I'm here while we're here for each other, everybody. And that's the common theme going on at the festival, which is the 25th annual Seattle Hemp Fest, which is called really the Protestival. Now, I know you've brought back some great sound uh, from some of these speakers, uh, mm-hmm. and we're not going to be able to play them all t- this month. Who, uh, who are we going to hear from today? Rick Steves. Yeah, Rick Steves had a powerful message. Let's take a listen to uh, an excerpt of uh, what he had to say uh, this weekend. Now, for, you know, um, I've been, you know, I'm a travel writer, and uh, for me, high is a place. I feel very strong. I, I wonder, why do I care about this so much? And I'm all about being able to go places. And if our government says we can't go someplace, they better have a good reason. And there's conceivable reasons where they could say we could go here or there, but there's no defensible reason that we can't go to that place called High every once in a while if we want to. That's a civil liberty. Now, I've been saying this for 10 years. And we've come a long way. Obviously, we've got four states, five states in the can right now, or what we got. uh, And we're going to, this year, we're going to legalize in four or five more states. It's an incremental thing. And if you feel like it's it's getting easier in Seattle, I want to remind you, we are sort of the, the, the vanguard. And there are 200 million people in this country that can uh, get arrested for smoking pot. That's not right. And we are doing a huge service for the United States here in Washington State to be a leader in this. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the work Vivian and all the Hempfest people have done. And I think that's something to celebrate. And I think we should be mindful of that. Now, we have a lot of work yet to go. There's a lot of people that are really regressive about this. And we all know all the reasons it's a stupid law. It's a racist law. It's a a law that demoralizes law enforcement. It's a law that uh, violates our civil liberties. And four or five years ago, we were operating on hunches. I'm going to Massachusetts, and I'm going to Maine in October. I'm going to spend a week there giving lectures and getting on as much media as I can. Those two states are polling at 55% right now. Looks really good. California is polling even higher than that. And we might even get Arizona and Nevada on board this year. What I was uh, talking about four years ago, we had hunches, we had common sense. I strongly believe that Yes, people smoke pot, and if you legalize, more people will not smoke pot. They will just do it legally instead of doing it in secret, and that has panned out. There's not a reservoir of decent people that would love to ruin their lives smoking pot if only it was legal. People who smoke pot smoke pot, whether it's legal or not, and the laws have borne that out. There's no society on earth where there's any correlation between how many people smoke pot and how strict the laws are. In Europe, the Dutch are famous for being progressive with their marijuana laws, and by all estimates, the Dutch smoke less than the European average, and they smoke less than Americans do. There's no correlation between how loose the laws are and how many people are going to enjoy marijuana. A lot of people also are worried about that whole gateway effect. You've probably heard of that. My European friends have been thinking out of the box for a long time, and my European friends tell me that the only thing gateway about marijuana is when it's illegal, 
you got to buy it from a criminal on the street who's got a vested interest in selling you something more profitable and more addictive. It is the illegality of marijuana that makes it, if it is a gateway drug, a gateway drug. And legalizing it overcomes that. Anybody that knows how to uh, help kids and young people and people who are inclined to be uh, uh, taken over by drugs, the best way to control drugs is not to make it illegal, but to tax and regulate it. So we are making smart law, we are public policy law, we're laws that all sorts of mainstream organizations can embrace, and I'm excited to be able to promote that as I try to go around the country and raise awareness of this. I'll tell you. We enjoy, we enjoy our marijuana, but fundamentally this, and I know what Vivian's been after for so long, is something even more fundamental than the freedom to smoke pot. It is civil liberties. Civil liberties. I'm a board member of Normal, and we are about the civil liberty to smoke pot as a responsible adult American. I am a tax-paying, church-going, hard-working American citizen, and if I work hard all day long and want to go home and smoke a joint and just look at the fireplace for three hours, that's my civil liberty! And I'm going to be telling people in Massachusetts that, and I'm going to be telling people in Maine that, and until every state in this country has given up this ridiculous war on marijuana, we all need to make that case. This is not pro-marijuana, this is pro-civil liberties, because this is the United States and that's what we're about. And in closing, I would just like to say, like I do on all my TV shows, happy travels, even if you're just staying home, okay? Thank you. Yes, that was Rick Steves speaking at the 25th anniversary of Seattle's Hemp Fest. Uh, once again, Joy Beckerman, uh, I think we're going to play a little bit of her uh, right now, but uh, uh, who is Joy? Can you tell so us So excited bit? about her um, activism award. Um, definitely a, a hemp uh, cannabis um, activist of so many years and uh, so clear with her communication and so loving from the space that we all have to really understand that we are here for each other. But the point is the tribe, uh, the tribe works together. The tribe doesn't even know each other like, like animals and plants can communicate across continents. So do we. We know each other when we see each other, seek each other out, be inspired by one another, be there for one another on a true human level. If we have no peace, it is because we forgot that we belong to one another. We have a tremendous propensity in the cannabis community to character assassinate, to mercilessly judge each other, to not forgive each other, to not give each other the benefit of the doubt. And I'm telling you, it is not the path to the healing of the nations. Please refrain from your, no, no matter how justified you feel in that moment of emotion for that social media post. It, it always reflects worse on the poster than it ever does on the subject of your post, no matter how much you think that they deserve some type of public shaming. It is always a shame on ourselves. Please remember that, my tribe. Let's love each other. Let's heal this thing up. Let's donate to Seattle Hemp Fest, because I tell you now, we wouldn't be here without them. Thank you. So what a wonderful portion of insight and inspiration coming from Joy Beckerman. 
If you have an interest in all things cannabis and would like to help us put these shows together, you can email me, Ed Melnick, here at the KBOO website. I'd like to thank associate producers Mindy Griffiths and Barry Height for their additions to the show today. The State of Cannabis airs on the fourth Friday of every month between 5.30 and 6 p.m. I hope you'll join us again next month for more on the State of Cannabis. Till then, this is Ed Melnick wishing you all the best. Your papers, please. Uh, I only have a pipe, man. It's 6 o'clock. You're listening to KBOO Portland.